0: Alright, right, so I'm going to be reading the Bible for us now. Um, So we're going to be reading from Luke um, chapter 9, verses 51 to 62 first, and then from Ephesians 6. Um, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Then he and his disciples went to another village. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, "'Lord, first let me go and bury my father.' Jesus said to him, let the, buried, "'Let the dead bury their own dead, "'but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God.' Still another said, "'I will follow you, Lord, "'but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family.' Jesus replied, "'No one who puts a hand to the plough and looks back "'is fit for service in the kingdom of God.'" And Ephesians 6, 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should
1: you Alex. I'm gonna get one of you. Uh... Is that Dan Yee there? Can you check one of those pews there? I'm pretty sure my glasses are in there somewhere. I was meeting such a wonderful couple. Do you want to give them for me? I, I don't them for my notes, but I need to know exactly the moment when you all fall asleep. And the only reason I can get that is by wearing glasses. Thank you. Hey, we're talking about how to love God with your feet. In a little while, I'm going to get you to use your feet. Uh, by walking up, forward, and uh, taking bread and wine, if that's what you'd like to do, as you remember a great saviour. And uh, don't be fooled by the size of the portions. Yeah? A little bit of bread, a little bit of wine. Don't be fooled by the size of the portions. They speak of a great love. But you'll use your feet to come and uh, take that in a few moments' time. That'll be the first thing you do, and then I hope you use your feet to love God for the rest of your life. Amen? Okay, we're done. Actually, not true. I'm going to pray. I'm going to explore these passages together. Father, you sent Jesus to Jerusalem. You sent him there to die for our sins, which means you loved us, you redeemed us, and you gave us hope in his resurrection. We pray now that you would give us all that we need to stand firm, to be confident and ready to follow Jesus Christ in whose name and by whose power we pray. Amen. So this is the final of our summer series, in our mind, whether it's true or not. uh, After Australia Day, we go back to work. And so this is the final summer series, uh, one in our summer series. And it's called Loving God with More Than Your Heart. We looked at the heart during the Christmas season. So this is Loving God with More Than Your Heart. We most certainly are to love the Lord your God with all your heart. But as Jesus said, also all your mind, your soul, your strength... And we've said also your hands and your guts and your feet. That is, we don't leave our minds checked at the door when we come to church. We don't, certainly don't leave our appetites at the door. You know, our guts do whatever we want to do. We don't do that. Uh, and we don't want to neglect our hands either when we serve. For example, next week at the City Care Lunch or here at church at uh, 4 p.m. And we don't want to ne- neglect our feet as we love God as well. And that's because I want all of me to love all of him because he's given all of himself to love all of me. Now, today we're asking the question how do I love God with my feet? I presume it's a question you don't ask often. Probably never asked it. And you're wondering what the answer could possibly be. Well, like hands last week, our feet are all over the Bible. And also like hands, last week, feet are amazing, miraculous. I want to take off my R.M. Williams and show you mine. I'll spare it. I'll spare you doing that. Feet are very odd when you look at them for about five minutes. Stare at them tonight for five minutes. Some of you will start laughing. It's amazing, isn't it, that these little things on the end of our legs can hold such weight... And in the right spot, I get it, it's the ear ear as well, and yada, yada. The whole thing's miraculous. Seriously amazing. The human foot, I'm told, contains 26 bones, 33 joints, 107 ligaments, 19 muscles and tendons. Humans have nearly 8,000 nerves in our feet. I got this from foot.com. So who knows if it's true? Sounds right to me. Had a bone doctor this morning at church. Thumbs up. Now, I want to bear in mind that some of us may be disabled in some form here today. But bearing that in mind, the average person takes between four and 6,000 steps a day, which adds up to about 100,000 miles over a lifetime, 17,000. 170,000 kilometers, which I'm told is enough to circumnavigate the earth, walking four times in a lifetime, an average lifetime. The phrase, I'm walking the earth, might take new meaning for you. You do, you have. Well, not yet, maybe once. Feet, I'm told, are the largest at the end of the day with some slight swelling. So apparently the best time to buy shoes will be the afternoon, so that tomorrow morning, you aren't surprised how tight they have become. Little history, the oldest preserved shoe is 5,500 years old and was found in an Arminian cave. So why aren't you writing that down? The ancient Romans were the first to construct distinct left and right shoes. Before that, shoes could be worn on either foot. I think I want to go back to the old days myself. You know, one wears out and you just, you know, replace the other. Anyway. In Europe, it wasn't until the 18th century that women's shoes were different from men's. The most expensive shoes ever, Dorothy's shoes from Wizard of Oz, $660,000 at the hammer. So, feet are amazing. I want you to answer the question in your own mind. I'll even give you an opportunity to speak out loud in the moment if you want. What do you do with your feet? What things do you do with your feet? Have a think about that for a second. The primary things I think we do with our feet are to stand and to walk. But there's plenty of other things, have them in your mind. I've got a few. You can dance with your feet, You can run with your feet. For better or worse, you can flirt with your feet. You can do gymnastics. You can cycle. I'm pretty sure it's almost near impossible, very hard to swim without feet. What else have I missed? What did you have in your mind? what did you have? Explore. Explore with your feet. Kick a ball. Kick a ball. Thank you. Other things? Stub your toe. Stub your toe for those with a mind to do so. (laughs) Last things. Okay, all true. But I think 90% of what you do with your feet will be walking and standing, would that be fair? Interestingly, both central to the Christian life, which is a journey. J.R. Tolkien put these words on Bilbo's lips. It's a dangerous business, Frodo, walking out your door. You step into the road, and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. An adventure, for example. The Bible has a lot to say about feet. Here are some examples. To anyone who might be knocked off his or her feet through suffering, how about this from Habakkuk 3 verse 19, the sovereign Lord is my strength, he makes my feet like the feet of a deer, he takes me up to the heights. Or Isaiah 52, verse 7, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Those feet are especially beautiful, bringing glad tidings, which would make Psalm 119, verse 105, true to God, says the psalmist, your word is a lamp to my feet. In other words, enough light for the next step ahead, which I think is just beautiful. God's word, enough light for the next step ...ahead tomorrow morning. So I say, let God light the path. Two points to make today, and these are in your outline on page seven. Like last week, first point is fuel for the second point. How Jesus loves us with his feet, and secondly, how we love Jesus, or how we love God, with our feet. The first one's the gospel, and you'll see he walks to Jerusalem, and now he stands as the Messiah... And we are to love Jesus. Our response to him is we need to stand up with confidence, to stand firm, and then to walk humbly following him. So firstly, how does Jesus love us with his feet? Well, the first thing to note is Jesus has feet. The incarnation tells us that Jesus is God, God the Son, the eternal Son, who took on flesh, which means that God is with us. It means that God took on feet, even as a baby. I assume that Mary could have stroked his little feet and watched the the, uh, toes curl up. In other words, he chose the 26 bones in a human foot. And those feet then were used by him and by his father to save us. He did that back then, and they're used to guide us now into his way. Well, how, how does he do it? How does Jesus love us with his feet? Well, first by his walking and now by his standing. Let me explain. First by his walking. Well, he walked, right? But where? Where did he walk? And the answer is in Luke 9, 51, he walked to Jerusalem, not just anywhere. He walked to Jerusalem. That's where God took his feet. Alex read out to us a moment ago, Luke 9, verse 51, top of page five, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Now, this is a turning point in Mark's gospel. Every commentary will tell you it so. Because up until this point, he's been up in the north, healing people, teaching them about the kingdom of God. But it's all been up in the north. But now he turns his face south to the capital, to Jerusalem, and we're told he does it. What's the word? Resolutely. In the King James Version, hardcore, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem, not looking to the right or to the left. In Eugene Peterson's The Message, he steeled himself for the journey to Jerusalem. And in other older translations, he set his face like flint, which echoes the servant songs in Isaiah. How about this? Isaiah 50, verse 6, 700 years before Jesus. Of an unnamed servant, I gave my back to those who would strike me, I gave my cheeks to those who pull out my beard. I turned the other cheek. That's where he gets it from. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Therefore, I have set my face like flint. And I I know that I shall not be put to shame. He who vindicates me is near. All referring to Jesus Christ, who set his face like flint on Jerusalem, all indicating boldness, courage, constancy, firmness of mind. He resolved upon it and was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, why? Tourist options? A bus ride to Bethlehem? No, because he's going there to suffer and then to die. To be spat at, to be disgraced, and strung up on a Roman cross. And he knew he was the one to receive the fire. Look at verse 52. He's going to Jerusalem sends messengers ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him but the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem we don't want any pot stirrers here when the disciples, James and John saw this, they asked and by the way, here is the original outrage it's now all over social media they just followed the disciples heard this uh, that they weren't welcoming Jesus and they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven to destroy them wipe them out Right, click, 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 wrong, wrong, wrong. Dislike, dislike. But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Why? Because Jesus knew that in the end, he was the one that was gonna have to receive the fire from heaven, the one who was going to suffer the wrath of God for sin, for my sin. He was the one that had to be destroyed in the end, not the Samaritan village, not yet, not then. It was in the plans and purposes of God that the Son of Man must suffer. That word must being the most important word. Now, those same feet that would carry him to Jerusalem, those same feet will be pierced with Roman spikes, just like his hands. And he did it to save you and me from my sins. Says the hymn writer, see from his head, his hands and his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did there such love and sorrow meet? Or thorns compose so rich a crown? So he doesn't just love us by walking and telling us about the kingdom of God, but going to Jerusalem to die. And he does it also by, secondly, standing in heaven now. The father did not leave his son's feet pierced and then rotting in a tomb in ancient Palestine. His father raised him from the dead. We started our service with Psalm 40 verses one to three. It's so interesting to read Psalm 40 in light of the resurrection. Listen to the feet motif. It's on page two. I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit out of the mire and the mud, right, the tomb. And he lifted me out and set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. And he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God, which is why we sing so much. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. God raised Jesus from the dead as the first to rise of many, which means he's the Messiah over all, the Lord over all. And he stands currently in heaven if I can put it this way, on the firmest ground. Ever thought about that? The ground you stand on, not as firm. You get my point. That his Messiah overall means that there's no prime minister or president, no despot or dictator, no boss in your life that has ultimate governance over you to boss you, to awaken in you fears, New confidence, we'll come to that. Apostle John received a revelation uh, on the island of Patmos. He was worried about all the suffering that was happening after Jesus had risen from the dead, and all the suffering would have made them and perhaps him wonder if he was still with us. The book of Revelation, as we'll learn at Rivendell, is apocalyptic language, which doesn't mean, by the way, um, weird Hollywood predictions about the end of the world, disaster movies. The word apocalyp- apocalypsis means to reveal. The whole purpose of Revelation is to make things clear. And uh, this is the image, the vision that John saw in chapter 1, verse 12. He says this, listen closely, close your eyes if you have to. I turned round to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, the complete church of God. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, a human one, and he was dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash round his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. The image of, of the Ancient of Days in, in Daniel chapter seven And then John does what lots of people do. He casts his eyes down to this Christ figure's feet. And we're told his feet were like bronze burning in a furnace. It's a picture language. In other words, Jesus Christ is standing now and he is strong and he is able and he is in charge of the universe, now ruling and reigning as Messiah, So the um, suffering, you see, is only temporary. It's not a reason to give in because Rome, you see, will be brought to her knees, found on the wrong side of history, eternal history. Nero will be knocked over. That person greatly feared will go go down in a heartbeat. And the one who died for us, the one who loved us, Jesus Christ, he is the one whose feet are like burning bronze glowing in the furnace. He He is able to make you stand. So that's how jesus loved us by walking to the cross dying for us and by now currently standing in heaven so secondly and finally how do we we love jesus with our feet you see what i did by the way i I know you noticed it from the zine i inverted them did you see that he walks and now stands and our task is to now stand and then walk so the first way we love jesus with our feet is by standing romans chapter 5 we now have access into grace in which we stand so this is all about being confident in him you could argue that the question of the old testament is malachi 3 verse 2 who can endure the day of his coming the answer is no one who can stand when he appears But the solution of the New Testament and the life of Jesus Christ is this. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault. You like that? And with great joy to the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ, our current Lord and forever Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Amen. See, legs can stand and walk and they can also dance and swim and kick a ball. But here are some other things that can happen with legs. People can kick your legs out from under you. Here's another thing. You can stumble with your legs and fall over, flat on your face, back on your back. That's why Jesus talks about not stumbling. Here's another one. People can lead you astray. All images to do with the feet and the legs. The Apostle Paul points the Corinthians back to the resurrection of Jesus Christ and we'll conclude our service this way. Therefore, my dear sisters and brothers, says Paul, stand firm, let nothing move you. Because he loved us, we can now stand. Because he stands, we can stand. And this is about confidence. That's what this means. And I've got to tell you, I remember a time of deep, deep lack of confidence, and gaining confidence is a, um, is a mysterious thing. Um, there's no simple answers to a person who feels like every day they're getting their legs cut out from under them and then discovering and then finding confidence for themselves. And I mean humble confidence, by the way, not just, what's the song, um, what's wrong with being confident? Who, wrote, who said that? Who wrote that song, What's Wrong With Being Confident? My kids listen to it. That's why you're not. It's not about, um, hey, what's wrong with being confident? I can do whatever the heck I want. Because that's what confidence is. No, 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 no. What you're being called here to is a beautiful, humble confidence where you end up standing. As I say, it's a mysterious thing, but I'm pretty sure that a good market share of any confidence that I currently have, if I have it at all comes from drinking in the gospel of Jesus Christ over about 30 years. Of course, we're on our knees first, confessing our sins, but because of his love for me, I then stand. In fact, he's the one that gets me up my feet. You know, what does the prodigal son say out of the pig's eye of his own choices? He says, I will arise. I love that. I will stand up and go to my father It's God that lifted my feet out of the miry clay, and he put my feet on a rock of his salvation and on that rock he gave me confidence. No wonder I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. It's a good question, isn't it? Who should come to the table in a few moments' time? I take it if you're standing in your own confidence, then the answer is no one comes. No one gets up out of their seat. No one does. Please don't get up out of your seat and take the bread and the wine if you're confident in your own righteousness or self. But standing in the grace of God, be sure to come forward and receive the bread and the wine. The hymn writer says, I wonder how he could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Well, wonder we might, but wonder no more. Because there is an answer. Jesus is the answer. Practically, it will mean not condemning yourself if you're in Christ. Don't wallow in your sins if you're in Christ. Make restitution, move forward. If you're not in Christ then condemnation of self is the least of your worries. And don't allow the devil to tempt you to believe that you are worthless, you are worth the precious blood of Christ, or unforgiven, he's done the work. So here it is. Stand up and firm, dear friends. That's how you love Jesus, with your feet confident in God, humbly confident in Him. Really, in Ephesians 6, the famous armor of God text, the only thing you have to do is stand. Did you notice that? There's no offensive weapon that's wielded. The only weapon that's offensive is the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You're not even told to wield it. Not here. It's implied, but not explicit Explicit in the text, every piece of armor is defensive. In other words, in Ephesians 6, the only thing you have to do is not be knocked over. You have to be the hero. There already is a hero. You don't have to be the first over the barricade. Someone's already done that ahead of you. You just have to find yourself standing at the end of your life. Jesus said about those who are about to suffer, the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. That's my mantra, by the way, when I'm doubting, difficult time, tired, just got to remain standing. And it's right there, if you want to see it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13. Put on the full armor of God so that you, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, verse 14, stand firm then. You see the point? Be strong, in the Lord, not self, be strong in his mighty power, not from your inner strength. It is a spiritual battle. The problem is not other people. The problem is a devil that wants to knock you out of the race. So, do you think you can be standing in the faith on the day you die and in his strength? It starts now, let the weak say, I have strength. And the second and final thing is, after standing in this grace, is to get moving, you see, to, to get following. You have your feet fitted, Paul says, with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. So if I can put it this way, jump to your feet, bearing in mind some of us are disabled. It's um, a hard matter, walking and leaping and praising God for your forgiveness. And doing that, you follow Jesus Christ and you worship God alone. You follow Christ alone and no other That's the point of verses 57 through 62. Such bold comments. Did you notice those as they were read? If you didn't notice, I'm really sorry. But they're just remarkable, these texts. Two things you have to know as you read these texts is, number one, they're actually heading to Jerusalem. If somebody says, can I say goodbye to my family? They're already two days ahead. There's no way to catch up. It's not like you can Uber it for 50 bucks and make it there in time. That's the first thing to say. They're actually going to Jerusalem, and those people can't go back and bury their father. That's going to take, you know, days or weeks or until the father dies. Who knows how that operates? And the second way to look at these verses is to realize that Jesus is just drawing on the Old Testament idea that you love and worship God alone, nothing above him. So Jesus is saying here, as you follow me, no idol worship. Verse 57, they're walking on the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go, good intentions. Jesus replied, foxes and birds have a better deal than I have. They've got dens and nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So, for example, your own home, even if God gives it to you, can't be an idol. He says to another man, follow me. The man says, reasonably, let me go first and bury my father. Jesus says, nothing ahead of me. Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now, we're not following Jesus to Jerusalem, so there's no Uber to catch up to him. I take it you can go and bury your father, but not as an idol, not with family as an idol. Same thing in verse 61. I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. So Jesus is my Lord and no other. He died for me. He stands for me now, risen from the dead. So I'll follow Jesus. He is the lamp for my next steps tomorrow morning. It's not my inner strength, but His strength. And I know where I'm going, too. I'm going to sing about this right now. In fact, the resistance can come forward. Actually, we're going to pray first. I know where I'm going to the new Jerusalem, the new Zion. Frederick Beaton talks about where you're going and how important it is. He says, "Thus, when I, thus when you wake up in the morning, called by God to be self again, to be a human again, if you want to know who you are, watch your feet." Isn't that true? Because where your feet take you, that is who you are. Well, I know where my feet are taking me. I know where I'm going to Jesus Christ, and then through Jesus to the New Zion where I will feast. And now in the meantime i'll be on mission following jesus sometimes suffering but never being knocked down waiting for sure with a certain hope in the one who stands let me pray father grant us grace to um, stand in your grace and to remain standing until the day we die but help us not to be static but rather to follow jesus each and every day worshiping Him and Him alone, and finding our security in Him. We pray this in His name. Amen.